0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. In this podcast, we chat to senior executives from a range of departments, industries and functions all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Business of Data podcast. This week, we're talking all about preparing for the challenges, specifically how to walk into a new opportunity with a toolkit ready to address the big challenges in data analytics. Now, to do just that, I have brought in the rather lovely Kamayani Cole, who's the former executive director, enterprise information strategy and risk management and global data protection officer for Bristol Myers Squibb. Now, if you haven't had the chance of meeting Kamayani before now, I will give you a few facts just to get you up to speed. So as I say, Kamani has just uh, stepped out of her role with Bristol Myers Squibb and is transitioning into a very new role, uh, which I can't quite give the exclusive on today's podcast, but I'm sure if you uh, jump over to LinkedIn and connect with Kamani you will see in the next coming week or so where her new job will be. But before joining uh, Bristol Myers Squibb, Kamani worked in a number of industries, including pharma, of course, financial services and healthcare as well. Now, if you can't find her at her work desk, you'll most likely find her in the kitchen baking something delicious. Kamani, lovely to see you. How are you doing?
1: Thanks, Catherine, for that brilliant introduction. And uh lovely to be joining you today and uh grateful for the opportunity doing fine and looking forward to the weekend as we wrap up here
0: <laughs> absolutely so i mean i i mentioned there in the intro that you're you're into your baking but i believe you can your kitchen is kind of your zen space i think from catches up that we've had before and you're, you're actually quite into your reading as well you do a lot of reading in your kitchen as well what, what have you been reading
1: Oh, uh, uh, I have, uh, Catherine, and uh, I think uh, a little bit of a space between as I look towards the next opportunity gave me some time to get more creative than beyond just the reading. And so in preparing for, uh, you know, my first book, which is a adaptation of something um, uh, of, uh, you know, works of journalism that my mm. grandfather had done, I've uh, acquired this very interesting reading habit more recently. And I'm reading on average about, um, you know, three books in parallel, which is uh, wow. not, <laughs> not quite your typical way of reading. And it wasn't for me either, but I think it's it served to be a source of inspiration as I look to, to pen this uh, other journalistic uh, book endeavor. So my current three books that I'm reading are, um, you know, organized along themes, um, uh, one that is uh, more geared towards self-improvement. And uh, to that vein, um, the, the book I'm currently reading is How Will You Measure Your Life? Uh, by, uh, uh, by, uh, by uh, Clay Christensen, uh, the former Harvard professor. Um, the second theme that I've been devoting to exploring more closely is um, more industry focused for us in healthcare. Um, this is a book by Atul Gawande, um, it's uh, called Better. Um, and then uh, a third theme that I was uh, looking into, of course, is it has to be data and analytics. And the one that I'm reading right now is, uh, it's a little older book. It's a, it was a New York Times bestseller, um, and this was three years ago, but it's Life 3.0. It explores um, the journey of what AI-driven human life 3.0 would look like. And it's by um, a, a who's who celebrated professor of uh, physics at MIT as well. Um, so that's what what's uh, currently on my uh, reading radar, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if I will
0: continue. Uh, I was keep... get, that was going to be <laughs> my next question. Are you going to keep up this reading pattern with your new new role, or do you think it will have to go to the wayside <laughs> slightly?
1: I, I think I think life's going to be a little bit paused. I'm sure once the opportunity starts up, but uh, you know, uh, readings readings uh, it's a great way of learning, and mm. I I look to be able to do more but uh, probably in a punctuated uh, frequency in the coming weeks.
0: I guess, though, in terms of um, human, in the way that we process information, we're quite used to taking in multiple sources of content, right? In the sense of you listen to multiple different podcasts. I'm sure our listeners today, you know, the average uh, listener of a podcast listens to up to seven hours of podcasting a week. So uh, although it sounds that, you know, when you're thinking of a book, you're sat down and you're reading, doing three of those in in the same time frame obviously that that feels a bit heavy but uh yeah that's really interesting Kamani. awesome so set the scene for me you you've recently stepped out of your role with uh, Bristol Myers Squibb and you're preparing yourself uh emotionally physically mentally all of those things uh for, for your next adventure let's take a step back what have been your key learnings From just under four years uh, working with them, what have been the real learnings that you're going to take away from there?
1: Yeah Catherine it's a great great moment to you know do this type of introspection. Um, I think uh, with the pandemic uh, it brought a level of uh, perhaps introspection for all of us, uh, both on a personal as well as on a professional front and I'll tell you that the last four years adventure with Bristol um, and in just general coming back from financial services into healthcare I think for me, the the three big takeaways that I've had, um, and some of these are very much in play in the strategies that we um, saw unfold for Bristol as a company, um, but have been resounding learnings for me in my uh, forward-leaning ways of working. The first I would say is this notion uh, that sometimes you have to go slower to go faster. And uh, nowhere have I seen this applied um, so well in a corporate setting as we did um, at, with our business development strategy at Bristol Myers Squibb. You know, the company's had an amazing, uh, you know, pearl of string strategy in play mm. for the last decade and a half. And, uh, you know, this notion of that with every new pearl you added to the string needing to go slower before you're able to go faster as a cohesive unit. Um, and this is very much in play even with um, the ongoing uh, integration of cell gene that BMS just recently acquired. That's been a huge learning. And knowing when, when to slow down uh, before you can accelerate with the with the synergies that are arriving as part of a new team, new company, new organization, I think is a huge, huge learning for me personally. The second one that um, I thought was a very enduring lesson was, um, you know, having a sound business strategy um, can can do wonders um, if if it's been done right in withstanding the test of time and driving a unparalleled clarity in your investment and operational decisions for the teams on ground. Mm-hmm. For me, the string of pearls and what I see uh, BMS doing in positioning and an um, unrivaled, you know, growth that the company has seen in now where it's situated as the fifth largest by market cap uh, top biopharma, you know, it uh, it's driven a sense of um, uh, managerial and and leadership clarity for us as, as leaders in the organization. And, uh, you know... It's, it's, not, it's not typical to come by this type of cl- clarity of vision and mission. Um, mission, most companies have, but the, the strategy and seeing it endure and play out over such a uh, long run as with uh, BMS, it's been wonderful to see. And I will take this as a personal learning going forward. And then last but not the least, um, you know, uh, leaning into a company's culture helps mm-hmm. drive transformations. Today's transformations are digital and data focused. But leaning into the culture versus fighting a culture or resisting a culture when driving transformations, for me personally, has been an amazing learning as well. And I've seen uh, very few uh, do it well. Um, and I saw, I saw BMS putting forward an amazing plan to address how you lean into your culture to mm. accelerate the transformation at scale on an enterprise level.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> fantastic there's, there's such interesting uh key learnings and so broad and i think that's so interesting actually that last point you mentioned there about leaning into the culture because if you think about it it is you against an entire department or company and it's a case of who's going to win that battle if you really really want to to pull and, and resist but actually it's a case of leaning into it so you, you mentioned something at the top of your answer about uh the fact that you came out of financial services and then back into to pharma And i'd love to know what were your um you worked in a number of industries what were your assumptions about the pharmaceutical sector before working within it um because i know obviously there's a, a lot of uh different people that listen to this podcast and i think it's always interesting to know what you thought thought of the industry outside versus then what you found within it because you know people like to uh, move across industries and sometimes that can feel a bit daunting Haunting, right so so how what were your assumptions uh, going into the pharmaceutical sector and then um what did you experience when you got there were they any different
1: yeah, Catherine, uh, you know, for me, it was sort of a homecoming. I had been a healthcare lifer for the greater part of my career, and financial services ended up being uh, about a two and a half year sabbatical. So homecoming, but, 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 you know, still coming back from financial services and seeing the transformation, um, both digital and data, starting um, with a much stronger and much more of a affirmative action coming um, because of regulatory pressures after 2009. Um, coming back to pharma, here's what I walked into, and with expectations, you know that it's life sciences, it's healthcare. Uh, my expectation was that they play on the cutting edge of technology, if not the bleeding edge, right? Um, but and here's the butt that followed, and this is where you know my my expectation versus the contrast of what met me in the in the face when I got here. I think there are pockets of excellence, and in, and this is true of all pharma, not just uh, you know my my last employer, but. They're pockets of excellence that need cultivating, grooming, and replanting at scale, right? So it's not that they are at the bleeding edge everywhere or or at the cutting edge everywhere. The second expectation I had was that, that uh, you know, there's a more organic data and analytics focus, given it's a scientific, uh, you know, niche of healthcare and pharmaceuticals. And and the but that followed was that, uh, you know, scientific processes and methods have a Pay, place and space there are functions in the enterprise uh in a pharmaceutical company that uh, um, you know this is done really well and and with very, very good rigor around it mm. uh, because of the re- highly regulated um, industry and regu- multiple health authorities the globe over that you're you're you know forced to comply with. But um, it doesn't organically flow and inductively flow to the rest of the organization. So that culture change around data and analytics and being a data-driven organization um, is an equally uphill task when you look at the not so data, data germane pockets of the enterprise. And then the third expectation I walked in with was that we just generally had higher data quality. Let Mm. me tell you, that is far from the truth. I think we have great data quality when it comes to actual physical product and clinical trial data integrity. Um, but I think there's way more pockets of data quality improvements that need to happen, especially when it comes to the seams of the value chain around the patient. So when you think about data quality at the um, at the value chain exchange points, so between provider to payer and payer back to us and pharma, pharma to, to pharmacy, I mean there are there are a huge number of data quality areas that uh, I didn't expect uh, yeah. and were Right, or it's still gaps to
0: address and more to be done, um, but but yeah, those those are in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. What I, I would say. I love that, though, because I and this is the exact reason I asked that question, because it this whole episode right is talking about challenges and going in to prepare them. And I must admit, I would think that data quality would not be as front of mind for someone going into a data role in the pharma uh, sector. But as you say, you know, yes, you might have it completely A-OK for the clinical data, but other aspects, it may be just as bad as other sectors, which you would perhaps maybe expect it a little bit more of. So uh, really, really interesting. so on that line obviously this episode is all about uh, you know preparing yourself for challenges and how you can do those um and obviously you are very much preparing yourself to deal with big challenges that um organizations are currently facing in data analytics for your new role so talk me through what are those challenges to you Anna, and and uh, what 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 are they going to be the big ones that you think are going to raise their head for you yeah,
1: and I think to some degree, Catherine, while I say this uh, for, for me and my new role, my opportunity, which is continuing to be likely in healthcare and pharma, I, I suspect that these teams are going to play all data and uh, analytics practitioners mm. agnostic of industry. I think this uh, uh, notion of data strategy is going to be front and center for all industry and all data and analytic uh, leaders um, agnostic. Um, I think The path to economic recovery in each industry, the curves that these will take will look different. But for data and analytics to drive that recovery path, um, I think every leader at their own level is going to need to introspect and say, what is our data strategy? How is it going to be abetting that economic recovery and the uh, recovery for for the companies that really suffered significant um, disruptions um, and in certain industries it was you know uh, sink or swim uh, types yeah. of imp- so what is that data strategy and and you can't you can't go after it all there has to be a, a progressively uh, you know systematically laid out progression plan what what is that data strategy so that's going to be a key area for for me uh, and for multiple other leaders in this industry the second is um, you know what the, the pandemic did for us in healthcare is it it, it highlighted um, an unprecedented level of cooperation in industry, as pharma's as uh, medical device manufacturers and uh, provider networks look to cooperate on an unprecedented scale, not just within countries but globally, to bring to bear both uh, you know treatments as well as vaccines that we are now doing the rounds with you know. Uh, uh, rolling out um, to populations globally and so you think about the data and analytics plays of enabling ecosystems to come together in a frictionless way from, uh, you know, candidate new treatments, candidate new vaccine variants you're going to have to develop um, for, for uh, you know, the variants of the virus now and more to come. Um, And to then dispensation of these treatments and cures in the context of a, you know, in hospital setting or at point Mm -hmm. of care uh, setting, right, tests that are going to be hopefully just spit tests that you can take at home, the data plays and the ecosystems of um, seamless exchange of data, quality data, trusted data that you need to be able and the ways in which data and analytics professionals need to enable that for their enterprise is going to be yeah. another area of focus. Um, and, and tied to that, in many ways, is you know um, the data ops capability in the world of data and analytics. We talk about data ops, and then shortly on the heels of that, you talk about model ops, AI ops, ML ops. You know, how do we scale these um, with a speed to outcome that is? going to meet the needs of the hour from a patient and provider population standpoint so those are to me the the key areas that i will be focusing on uh, in the coming days to weeks and months even
0: absolutely and they're, they're all themes that we've definitely touched on um, uh, uh, on the bob Pop, but i think it's so interesting actually that that second point around collaboration it's it's very similar in a way that you had companies who had a culture with, you know, oh, when we don't we don't uh, believe in remote working. We want everyone in the office. And suddenly it was removed. And it's a case of, you've got to do it now. And it's, you know, in the healthcare, obviously there's been, there's been this growing um, need and requirement for interoperability. That has taken place really great for some companies, not so great for others. There's been resistance. Suddenly you throw a global pandemic that puts everybody in the same storm. I'm not going to say the same boat because everyone's you know, in different positions of, of privilege in that. But suddenly you have a pandemic where actually collaboration is for the greater good and now it, it it's it's going to have to be supported by good data analytics everyone's going to have to pull together and uh, and it's been you know fantastic to see the innovations and the change that has come about that hopefully you know we can maintain this culture of collaboration going forwards um and then you know as you say there with, uh, I believe it's Gartner has coined the term XOps ops to in- include all of the model AI, AI ops and um, uh, ML ops as well. Um, you know, it's such a big topic here. We're seeing more and more content and people wanting to talk about it and engage with it. So um, I, I think that's really, really uh, very relevant. Now, I was going to ask you, why do you think these challenges are so relevant right now? And you kind of touched upon that with the pandemic, mm-hmm. but um in terms of strategy do you think this has been something it's been brewing for quite a while in the sense of having that real knowledge of tying it to the business and making sure that everything you do is explainable in the sense of value and return of investment i think that i think it's fair to say it's probably been brewing for a while would you agree i would
1: absolutely agree catherine and i think that this value value for data and analytics investments characterized as um, value was measured by your vantage point in industry, your particular strategy as a player in industry. I think this has been a theme that's been talked about for at least the last five years, if not more. It's just that now you're seeing it actually materialize on the heels of the pandemic. For most, most industries and most players, being able to measurably tie, hey, this is what my, my analytic uh, provided me in terms of where do I need to redirect my supply chain, for example. Mm-hmm. This is what my analytic told me is my compound catalog that I think we could co-develop with another pharma player for a therapeutic or a you know, curative uh, compound. So I think th- these are just becoming real. And now people have a a much more deeper understanding of how to do this exercise with value articulated in business terms as as the way to justify the continued digital
0: and analytic investment spends. absolutely so I mean whenever we're talking about um challenges obviously that they're in place for a reason right they they're challenges for a reason so what do you think are the key barriers in the way of overcoming these challenges so so when we're talking x and the fact that we're going to have to be doing so much more there why is it not just being done now and I ask that in a rather you know piffy way but you know, what what's preventing so many organizations again because you have this macro experience from the different industries you've been a part of so what do you think is standing in the way of it just being done
1: yeah and i think it's particularly um, harder in a industry that's as highly regulated for good reasons mm. for us in Asia, right i mean these are uh, these are and I don't need to explain this for anyone listening to the news right now, even for these vaccines that we've brought in blitzkrieg speed to uh, patients and and in response to the the pandemic, you're you're seeing safety questions being raised because we've studied it in such accelerated timeframes for the trials. So so I think uh, the challenges are kind of obvious in our industry. One is that, you know, there are significant hurdles that are raised by by health authorities, the globe over, for Mm -hmm. good reason. Um, The other challenge that presents itself in being able to tackle some of these, um, you know, speed to value and uh, speed to outcome for us in data and analytics uh, fields is that um, healthcare data uh, privacy laws and genetic research laws are also evolving, right? And, And broad consumer data privacy laws now intersecting with health data protection laws and genetic research laws. Um, I mean, being on the right side of the, side of the law is crucial. When it comes to people's health data, it's even more crucial. So there's a significant barrier there. Um, and I think you do see industry and global, um, uh, you know, conversations that are now being had um, as a fast follower to the pandemic response to say, okay, if we could do this for, for responding to our, you know, our global scale pandemic why can't we do this for bringing quicker drugs to bear for truly seismic, uh, you know, levels of needs in um, population health burdens in cardiovascular, oncology, in neurology. So I suspect that that we're going to see more conversations in this space coming.
0: I'm going to challenge you slightly on this. Do you think that in the long run you'll be further ahead though because as an industry you're again you, you mentioned that point about regulation which has sparked this question you are so used to walking hand in hand with the regulator that you're ticking those boxes everything is safe everything is ethical everything is you know you're, you're considering bias you're considering data safety other industries who don't need that same regulatory relationship they may be springboarding ahead but in the long run because we're seeing it in the news just yesterday about uh the european um Council potentially putting laws in place around what AI can do. So if we're thinking AI ops, so actually the although in the in the short term it seems that every step you're being stopped because you've got to consider the regulation, actually in the long run, if we're looking years ahead, you guys might actually be ahead of others because you've already had to tick those boxes and go through that process. And obviously, as you say, with COVID, obviously that's happened quicker. So I think there's been a bit of a a, a conversation about how much bureaucracy is needed, but because you are used to that environment, um, it it might be better in the future.
1: Indeed, and Catherine, I'm gonna try to dive this back to the theme that I was uh, stating at the outset of our conversation today, right? Which is that knowing when to slow down to go faster Mm -hmm. is crucial. For us, doing this right and walking this hand in glove with the regulators, and taking the time to set it up right initially, such that it can scale later and be safe and responsible and societally um, intended for the best outcomes, um, I would I would tend to concur with you. Now, will there be another wave of next generation of digital disruptors and in industries that are going to lead that? Possibly, but understand that you know we play in an industry where you know, every decision that you might be supporting from a data and an analytic investment standpoint could be, um, you know, someone's life uh, and their health outcomes um, and, so, you know, truly acute health outcomes that could yeah. be uh, on the line here. So, so that's, you know, one of the challenges that I was thinking of. The second one that, uh, and I'll, I'll cover these fairly quickly, but these are interrelated. You talked about it as well, Catherine, data interoperability you know, we've been talking about interoperable data standards in healthcare for for at least two decades and and rolling, right? While these interoperability standards seem to come about in you know telecommunications and infrastructure industries very quickly. We seem to have failed uh, ourselves as a society. Um, you know on on standards of interoperability in healthcare. There are emerging standards in in insular I'll say data silos. You have it in you know clinical data standards that the FDA, mm. and EMA, and some of the major health authorities around the globe now have. But but then you don't have any um, standards when it comes to research context. And and you have some emerging standards that come to clinical practice in a provider side context, um, like OMOP, etc. But we've we've failed on this front. And, and so what we've come to a realization as an industry is the standards will not emerge quickly enough. And you really need to use um, NLP and AI techniques to help crawl that that gap of inter- lack of interoperable standards, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, that the, the evolution of AI techniques um, and NLP, uh, uh, you know, uh, transformation that's going to happen with the uh, transformer category of AI algorithms. I think we're going to see that interoperability chasm get get, uh, stitched at the seams uh, more efficiently now, right? Um, And then the third one, which is related is this um, notion of uh, humans are very good at uh, doing the right thing by uh, capturing data, thinking of data for primary use. They're very bad at thinking of it for secondary use, right? And the reason why I I see hope for this is that as more and more digital investments happen, we're taking the humans out of being the primary generation of data source, right? You talk about mechanization and industry 4.0 revolution in in manufacturing spaces. Um, You talk about research becoming more and more digital, right? Digital labs, digital, um, I'll call it twins being put into Um, computational modeling of molecular uh, structures and and therapeutic mechanisms of action. Um, I I feel like that, that revolution will drive and usher in this secondary use problem that we've been trying to solve for um, and we'll start to tip away at that secondary use and data that's ready for secondary use, which isn't being curated by humans anymore or not being generated by humans anymore.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, but yeah, th- that's where I would say um, the challenges in this industry have been thus far.
0: So we, we, we've covered the challenges so fantastically there, but just before we end today, Something that was, um, I'm sure some of our listeners joined me in our weekly Clubhouse room that we host, the Business of Data Power Hour. And This is a collaboration room where we just chat about whatever topics come up. Now, one thing that was actually raised today um, was about uh, the, the, the person posed a question about, you know, what, what do you look for in the skills of a data and analytics professional when you hire? And one of the uh, panellists said, I, I, I look for someone who actively listens. Um, goes in and doesn't just listen to reply, but actively listens to the business. What are your problems? What are your challenges? So how are you going to be balancing this immense knowledge you have of the industries, of the market, of data analytics, with then going into the organization and then actively listening to the uh, problems that perhaps you haven't quite predicted in the sense of that they're in a different place in their journey, perhaps the same problem, but maybe different stage. So how? what's going to be your practical approach of stepping into that role um, on a Monday morning, maybe virtually, still uh, but stepping in what what's going to be your approach to that active listening
1: yeah and and look active listening is one of those um, skills life skills that uh, you know you have to get continually better at um, as as time progresses you know we as humans get poorer at, at active listening you know adults uh, adults have a level of i'll call it attention deficit that i think most will <laughs> refuse to acknowledge <laughs> it or um, so I think the active listening that I hope to be able to channel, and I think most people uh, will, li- will agree with me on this line of thinking, is that um, you have to be able to um, create room for people to want to voice their opinions. You cannot walk into an organization and even hope to know it all six months later. And unless you actually allow people to have an open door, candid conversation, um, elicit people, engage people in wanting to share where they see um, problems, where they, the practitioners, the frontline people in an organization, and where they're seeing things falling apart and where there are gaps in service, um, gaps in data, gaps in analytics that could be quick wins and quick uh, efficiencies you can deliver to the business. I think mean, that's, that's a huge area of focus for eliciting and then actively listening. The second area I would say is that, um, you know, the best ideas come from um, within an organization, believe it or not, um, and less so from the outside. So how we allow for, um, you know, collective ideation um, and, and creating mechanisms to bring those ideas in is an equal part um, area of focus in the dimension of active listening that I will be looking to, to uh, channel in the coming weeks, the months. Um, you know, there are multiple, multiple ways to orchestrate these multiple uh, books and ideologies, you know, design thinking, um, process kaizans that you can entice people into and invite people into to do this. But those are some of the ways that I, I hope to be looking at, uh, you know, that that listening skill, channeling it myself and looking for others that are equally tuned, right? There, mm-hmm. there is a network effect of active listening. There's some that you can do on your own. And then there's those that you want to create as network people that are equally attuned and and um, you know very much avid practitioners of um, active listening as a, as a inherent talent and skill. Um, so that's what I'd be looking to do in the coming uh, coming opportunity
0: i love that i just love the idea of creating that space for a conversation and as you say allowing that voice to then active listen is actually so important it's not just a case of turning up and being like okay i'm listening it's a case of inviting that space for for that conversation to happen so my last question for you today commanded before i let you go what would we've, we spoke about so much um, from the top of the conversation of you reading three books at the moment, which has just blown my mind, through to all of the challenges that you're that you're going to be expecting and dealing with. What would you say is your main takeaway? What would what do you want the audience to just bring with them back into the office when they next uh, go as as an action point from this uh, episode?
1: Yeah, uh, I think two things I'd leave the audience with, and anyone that like myself in the midst of the pandemic, there's lots of people navigating their next opportunities, um, next career transitions, right? Um, and if it ha- if it so happens to be in data and analytics, but I think these are generalities that should hopefully apply to any kind of uh, career track you would choose. Um, you know, get comfortable. Get comfortable with tech, digital, and data. It's the second language that everyone needs to know. Um, you know. Expect to have some grade level, grade school level proficiency in it. Um, you're going to need to understand it. it. It is part, very much a part of the next industrial level revolution. So, uh, if you happen to be in the field, uh, find ways to make sure that you're bringing everyone else and their level of proficiency in um, literacy in this aspect up and and uh, along with you for the ride. Bring that village along in your enterprise. And the second one I would say is. Um, you know, data and analytics isn't one person's um, hill bunker. There are multiple, um, you know, and and a lot of my colleagues will agree with this statement, data is the biggest team sport out there, whether you're in the context of your own inter- enterprise or inter-enterprise, right? Um, you have to be able to invoke a data and analytic mindset in multiple people. And I think the the one thing I would leave anyone with is, is um, You're only as good uh, a data and analytic practitioner and leader as much as you can stoke that curiosity in others, right? Finding a way to channel and rekindle people's childhood curiosity and inquisitiveness that that really wires you to be a critical analytical thinker. Think about how you invest the time to do that uh, at your level and, and in your sphere of influence. Um, I think that that could be the biggest differentiator in, you know, all of us as data and analytic professionals trying to make a dent with being a data driven organization, organization, culture or a society.
0: Absolutely love that. Well, Kamani, I cannot wait to log on to LinkedIn and see a notification saying Kamani has updated her job opportunity and we can have a look at where you're next landing. And I wish you the best of luck with your next opportunity. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Catherine. It was uh, amazing. And I look forward
1: to doing more podcasts in the future with you and uh, the Cranium team.
0: We hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Do be sure to subscribe and follow the Business of Data podcast wherever you're currently listening to ensure you're always first in line to the latest episode. We'd also appreciate your review as well. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a review. And as always, find us on socials as well as heading over to the Business Data Platform for more forms of great content, including articles, blogs, and video. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you real soon.